troops. Welcome back to the Granite Zero podcast with your host, Tomo. Now, before I start, I'd like to give a few shout-outs. First up, the Dead Mammoth Coffee Company. If you like veteran-owned companies and you like good coffee, go and see the Dead Mammoth Coffee Company. Not only are they a top-quality coffee company, but they do roast-to-order beans. And they're also ground down specifically to your tastes. So treat yourself there and get yourself some Dead Mammoth Coffee. Like me, you might like going to the gym and you need some decent sports supplements to help you through it. What better than a veteran-owned company? Sure. Why not go and see Combat Fuel? Not only are they veteran-owned and veteran-run, but they give proceeds to charity. And you're saying, Tomo, that's all well and good, mate, but give us a little bit extra. How about 15% off? So, at the checkout, put the promo code in, Warrior15 at checkout, and make sure you get yourself some decent supplements and get 15% off. Also, you might suffer from depression, anxiety, stress, maybe have an eating disorder, maybe you can't sleep, maybe you might have inflammation of your muscles and your joints, and you're thinking, what can I possibly get that can help me with all these different avenues. I'll tell you. CBD. Now CBD oil is scientifically proven to help with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, sleep disorders, muscle stiffness and joint pain. So go and see it and use it. I use Infusion CBD. Now Infusion is top quality and one of the UK's best out there. So go and get some and get amongst it. Now, joining me on the show today is a guest that is starred on this season's episodes of SAS Who Dares Wins. And I'm talking about Mark Whistler, a.k.a. Sybil War. Now, joining me and Little Brown is Mark, and it is a fantastic episode. We talk all sorts, from him being a drag queen, his experience on SAS Who Dares wins to CrossFit, to trans athletes. It's a very varied range throughout the whole episode. So, without further ado, joining me on tonight's episode is Mark Whistler, aka Civil War. So welcome to the Granite Zero podcast. Check it out. Hello, Charlie Charlie One. This is Granite Zero. Better way to celebrate your birthday. Exactly. Podcast. 
can think of a better way to spend my birthday than with you two. Exactly. Well, Sean's even had a shave. You've trimmed that. From the last I've, trimmed, I've trimmed my horrible Wurzel gummage. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely had to. So, I don't know if you watch it, Darren, but Mark is on, or was on, SAS Who Dares Wins, the last panel four. I have seen it. I don't, I'm not an avid watcher, um, just because it's usually on when I'm at work. So. Yeah. And I have to say, well, I have to say this, I think they jacked out on you a little bit on last night's episode. I've got to say, because you're the biggest, they had you at the back carrying the brunt of that weight of that log. I, that is that I, is I, how it played out. I, I, think, I think that's why you were hanging out your hoop at the end. Yeah, that and, like, there was so much of that task that you didn't see. Um, In it. We, so when we got up to the top of the mountain, uh, they made us do the, like, who's the weakest thing again. Oh, right. Uh, and then we had to carry the log back down half the way. They then made us walk out into a lake up to our waists, oh, no, up to, like, our chests with the log and beasted us with the log in the lake. That would have made good telly, that. Yeah, and then made us run all the way back down. And then when we got back down, that, at that point, like, I got I got there and I was just like, I was about to pass out. And I, they were like, take off your waterproofs. And I, like, went to try and unzip my jacket and I just couldn't move my arm. And I, like, finally, like, struggled out of it. Um, and then uh, Ollie was just giving it all, uh, giving a like laying into all of us about teamwork and how we'd like run down too quickly and not stayed as a team. And he was like, "Right, you forgot your fucking log. Back up." He uh, started, uh, <laughs> and it was it was it was the going back up that killed yeah. me. And I was just like, "So it looks like we just ran, we got to the top, and uh, like on the way back down, I passed out." But actually, we'd gone up, we'd come down, and we were going back up again. And uh, that, yeah. that was, uh, yeah, on, on some of the times when you're watching it, you're like, God, how are they hanging out now? They haven't done much. But then you get, then you think about it and you're like, oh, there's obviously a lot that they haven't shown. They have to condense it down into an hour episode. Didn't they? Yeah, like we had, we got beasted at three o'clock in the morning uh, that morning. Um, <laughs> we had to do hour-long watches throughout the night. Oh, you got to do your, your stags on stag. Exactly. So we were on stag throughout the night. Like, I was... And then we like lights went out at twelve. I was up at two to do my watch. Was back in my bunk by quarter past three, and then we were up at four for a beasting <laughs> until five. Lights came on at half five, and then the day started. <laughs> and it's just like you don't get to see any of that on the show. No. But it all like up and adds up. Breakfast was one small ladleful of plain porridge made with water that day. Nice. Uh, and I'm a 16 stone bloke, and it just it it shows that from that task, me and number eighteen Jerome, who were at the back of both of our teams, were the ones yeah. who went W. Yeah, I would. Have, I think me and Darren would have been alright because we we're only five six. So well, I'm five seven. I gotta get that. Uh, I don't know. To be fair, he does have the world's longest neck, so... I do have a very long neck. Do you have quite a long neck? Just like a diplodocus. <laughs> he's, he's an MMA fighter's dream there. Choke yeah, neck. very chokeable neck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um... Yeah. Does, um... 
Did it give you a bit of an insight into what the guys go through when they're doing selection then? Do, do I mean, obviously, they can't go through everything that the, the guys and girls now, I think, as well, um, go through on selection. See, me, me and Sean, being from Hereford, have um, been around uh, SAS boys since we since we moved here. But uh, like my, our old man didn't do selection. He wasn't in 2-2 as far as we know. <laughs> but... Um, like the stories, like they'd come around after going to the pub with the old man and stuff, and some like they'd never go massively into detail, but it was more about the training that they that they went through, and they'd give us these stories as a kid, and you'd be like, how, how and why would you want to do that? Like, Is, yeah, so, I like I've asked you must have had the same stories. Dad. Like, sorry, you must have had uh, similar stories from your dad, right? Uh, my dad kept everything so secret. Like it was only it was only a couple of years ago when you retired that we started to get a full kind of understanding of some of the stuff that you've been through. Um, yeah. The show, I like the show, gives you such a condensed version of what these guys and girls go through on selection. Is like it was the main one of the main driving forces of me doing the show was to try and get like the smallest glimpse of what my dad went through in terms of selection. And um, I hope like. The guys, not all the like, not all the DS are ex SAS. Some are various different special forces, and the course is definitely a con- condensation of, of aspects of different special forces um, selection processes, and it's all just kind of crammed in. And um, when I was talking to my dad, my dad's watching the show. Um, when I was talking to him, he was just like, "It's definitely more of a like they're trying to because it's only like." 10 days long they're definitely trying to break you faster and like get more of it faster so you're put under so much like so much pressure but then it was like when i always thought like when we got to escape and evasion well i didn't but when they got to escape and evasion like that's that's four weeks of sas selection when you're on evasion and like it's like a day and a half on like maybe two days on the show so it's just so compacted, and you get a glimpse of some of the stuff they go through, but it's it's still nothing nothing anywhere near what what the real guys and girls go through. Do you um before the show do you have to go through sort of um, psychological um, tests, I suppose, um, because to put I'd say ninety percent of people through that, even over a condensed period of time potentially you're going to get some people that lose their mind yeah and not just quitting but like it could potentially but some of the you know all the sleep deprivation the um holding back on calories and then just the physical aspect of it all bunched in together i mean surely well in my head you must have to go through some sort of testing procedure that to make sure that you're not just gonna completely break down on camera or even off camera and we have, the, uh, we have the old psych doctor with you, don't they? Yeah, <coughs> so we went... In there. Drinking Guinness, Dan. Yeah, yeah. You sneaky fucking Russian. Here's me with my being a good boy with my dead man of coffee. Just saying. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, psych, yeah. Do- the psych doctor was there, wasn't he? Yeah, we went through... Um, the same guy, I think. Yeah, so we went through, like... Uh, you have to go through all this kind of physical stuff, but we had like a series of psyche vows um, during the selection process to get onto the, sh- the audition process to get onto the show. Um, and then it's one of the things that 
I think Channel 4 and, and the production company have done really well is they really focus on your the psychological care throughout the entire um, process. So Sandeep, the doctor who you see on the show, is there, but they also have two psychologists on 24 hours a day watching all the cameras to see what everything's going on. And they're there to pick up on certain things that, like, the producers might miss. Um, and then we, we, like, we're in contact with the psychologists after the show. We get calls um, just to kind of check up on us. So, because, like, everyone, you like, as you see on the show, like, everyone has come from such a varied background um, yeah. and have been through some, like, quite harrowing things um, in their lives. And because the course is designed to condense everything and, and, and strip strip everything away from you, it can be really triggering for, for people. Um, but I think all of us going into it felt confident that from, from the position of the psychologists who work on the show, um, they were very much there for our safety and our well-being. And they couldn't care less that a TV show is being made. Like they would step in if they felt that any of us was in any kind of mental anguish. They could do with that on Love Island, couldn't they? Completely. From what I've heard, anyway. I don't watch that, but I've heard that they've had a number of problems, especially after the show. Each show, I think, has got... I think it's something that's come to the foreground a lot more because of things like Love Island and Jeremy Kyle and... One of the, I think, we were very, they were very clear with us on the front, like, this, they didn't consider it to be reality TV, they considered it to be a reality documentary, like, when we were, when we're handed over into the hands of the DS, like, that's the production crew stepping back, and they're like, we are now just here to document what you go through, whereas something like Love Island is a lot more, kind of, produced, and, but yeah, I think I think across like as like reality TV has been around for over a decade now and is just continuing to like become part of the zeitgeist of of modern culture. And I I do think the well being of the people on those shows hasn't always necessarily been front and center of of what people are trying to create. But that's definitely one thing with this show and 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 the team around SAS Fidesz wins that I think as we start to talk about mental health more and more, and especially the mental health of veterans and people who've been through uh, military service, that's, they've really put that as a forefront of, of the framing of SAS Who Does Wins. Yeah, that's... Um, I've got one fucking brilliant show. I've heard this in the first series. And the missus obviously likes it, but not for the same reasons that I do, put it that way. <laughs> she's, got, she's got to... A couple of crushes, put it that way. Uh, I, it, it's certainly easy to have crushes on that show. <laughs> so, um, how did it come about then? What, like, the whole, you want to have a go? Yeah, because no, there's obviously two shows on at the minute, right? Or one just finished, I think. So you've got the, the Drag Queen show that's on B- is it BBC or yeah RuPaul's Drag Race you've got that one and then you've got SAS Who Dares Wins which and you decided to go I'm going to go get I always said I always said uh, SAS Who Dares Wins is my drag race like right. they, I 
I've watched SAS Who Dares Wins from the first series, and I've like always been a fan of similar shows that have come out of the States um, around the special forces over there. And uh, last year, like last year, I had a like brief like interlude with the production team where they were like searching for people like to cast, and I do through a CrossFit group that I'm in, um, like had a brief chat with one of the producers, um, and because I'd started a new job, I couldn't like audition. And when the when last season uh, came out, we, I was watching season four, and I was just a bit like. Oh, I, that like there is. I'd had a conversation with them. Like that could have been me. Like, may would I have gone through the process? Like, would I have been in Chile up that mountain? Like, in those mountains, had I been able to continue with that process? And watching it, I was just like, it just made me want to do it even more. And then, of course, with the background of my dad uh, being in the being in the SAS, and like, I was just a bit like, actually, drag race is this huge phenomenon. And I know I've got a few friends who've been who've been on the show and have been through the whole process, and in very different ways, it's just as grueling as being on SAS. But I was like, looking at that, I love a physical challenge. I love seeing how far I can push myself, and I was just like, you know what? Like, <laughs> it was the uh, it was the task where they had to swim under the ice. Um, oh, in, yeah. in series four, and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I want to see if I can do that. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to apply and see how far I get. So, um, so, here's another question for you on that one. Were you a bit gutted when, obviously, previous series have been to like they went to the jungle, they went to the desert, they've been to the the mountains in Chile where it's freezing cold, and they went. So where are we going? Scotland. Yeah, I'm what? Yeah. <laughs> Scotland. Uh, oh, honestly, like we've been like. I had to tell one or two people that I work with. Um, and we'd kind of been joking about it, like, oh, well, last year was in the mountains and, like, they've been to the jungle and it was cold last year, so it's probably going to be somewhere, like, hot. And, I like, we'd been told... Uh, when I was told that I was on the show, which was about two weeks before we left for filming, um, and we got, like, an, an advice of, like, maybe how we should, like, alter our training a little bit in the two weeks before we go. Yeah. Uh, uh, swimming was like top of the list so oh, yeah. and i was just like oh like maybe I, I was like maybe it's a desert island like maybe we're gonna be <laughs> like somewhere tropical and like foxy had posted a picture on instagram um, which was clearly from his like summer holiday two years ago of how he yeah, wants yeah. a tropical island being like series five is coming like da, da, da. uh <laughs> and we like i got it happened in such a whirlwind where like we got the got the email that was like you're leaving tomorrow, cars picking you up, taking you to the airport. And like, we got to the air, like got to the airport and you immediately hand over your phone. Uh, and I'm like looking at the destination board being like, it's none of these, but like, what? Like, th- like I was at Luton airport. Like, this isn't, this isn't that international. Like we're not traveling to, we're not traveling to Australia from Luton. Uh, and I was like, it's either going to be, I was like, it's either Inverness or Tel Aviv. Uh, and it was Inverness, and it was like, I just, it was, the, the experience is so crazy from the moment you get there, but, like, where you are, almost. Oh, no. <laughs> Frozen. Let it go. 
I'm actually really, really happy that it was Scotland because really? it is the back, it is the backyard of the SAS. It is where they train. And you, you know, what I said we don't get technical dip. We have we haven't had any yet. Just had some. You froze for about thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where was I up to? You got to. Um, you were just about to go to Scotland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, and, and then, then it froze, and then you were like, "Ah, I love Scotland." It's like. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like we were told, like we get you got checked in, and it was like, okay, we're off to Inverness, and it was just like, well, clearly we're going somewhere in the, either the, the Highlands or the Hebrides, and it's going to be brutal. Um, and then you get that thing of like, actually, this is the backyard of, of the special forces in the UK. This is where they train, and yeah, it's, it's it's as though they've done like a. Uh, fucking 360 they did the yep. first one in the beacons didn't they which, yeah, is they which is obviously phase one of selection so they've now sort of gone back to the similar sort of route yeah and I honestly having having been there and been through it I don't think there are many more brutal conditions that are completely varied like if you're in the mountains in Chile you know it's going to be cold and the most you're going to have to deal with is snow. But we went from it being clear skies and sunny, sunny to horizontal rain and gale force winds and it just, you had no idea like what you were going to go through. Um, yeah. And that just added an additional... Your body, your body temperature is fluctuating up and down constantly. It's, it's, it just added that extra level of, of difficulty to the whole thing. Yeah, it looked horrible. I know what I know what it's like being cold, wet, and hungry. Not to that extent, but yeah, it's horrible. Um, I was gonna say, who, I didn't catch who you had the fight with in in the million. Uh, uh, number sixteen, Ollie. Ah, uh, the well, yeah. well side. It was. Uh, I would. I, I. He put up a very good fight, but I, I won. Uh, and uh, he was. It was funny because Ant's given it all the like controlled aggression, and it's about like w working out how to flick that switch on and off. Yeah. Um, and I was like, right, I'm like, I'm gonna picture everyone, every person who's ever like hurled homophobic abuse at me or has thrown abuse at me when I'm in drag and all of this. And then they paired me with the only other gay guy on the course. <laughs> instantly was just like, well, that's that out the window. Uh, but yeah, no, I like, and it's, it's not like, like, it's not like boxing. He's constantly, he was constantly, like, you couldn't like yes. back and reset. Like, and he's just screaming at you and screaming at you. And, uh, but yeah. I thought, I thought, uh, milling was a specific power thing that they did. Uh, it's, uh, it's an infantry thing. Um, oh. um, my, my regiment didn't do milling. We, our um our beasting was our bayonet training that was that was our controlled aggression phase that was the last day we did until we passed out into the infantry um but million is just we did similar million but that was more in the block where it was like right let's just have a fight shall we yeah cool, cool. <laughs> um, uh but it is literally you can't box it's all controlled it's it's just street fight basically just as it states, windmilling, isn't it? Yeah. Just throwing them. I, I thought, I thought uh, the old moly mole 
God, that was harsh, that. So they paired Darren's for you, as you probably haven't noticed, right? So they have a an undercover SAS or former SAS bloke embedded with them to pass on all the gen to the DS about them, to what to do to make them fucking suffer more, split them apart, all that sort of stuff. And they, it, during the milling, they paired this fucking SAS bloke with a chick. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. She put up a good point. She put up a good point. Yeah, she just leather her in one clip, though. I was like, shit. I suppose um, with females now being able to join the infantry regiments and even do SAS selection, I think I think it was Alicia said about it how they should have to do every single thing. Like you can't yeah. you can't change. Yeah. So I suppose if it's going to come to a fist fight, yeah, exactly. I, I, mean, like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know who it would be harder for, because I mean, physically, physically, think... it's going to be harder for um, the female in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, it's going to be harder. But psychologically, like for a, a guy to have to go toe to toe with with a woman, and like you, you, but you, but you have to, you have to give it your all, don't you? Because you can't yeah. be seen, you can't be seen as being biased yeah. or or weaker yeah. than your opponent, regardless of their sex. So I suppose you just got to give them the old right there, Fred, and just hopefully yeah. nobody judges you for it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we like. I think we we knew the milling task was probably coming at some point. And yeah. um, we kind of we talked about it in the dorm, and we we all knew like at that point. It's just you have to do it. Like there's no option. Either you VW or you do it. And whether you were like the guys understood that you had to give it your all, and the girls understood that they had to give it their all. And and that's one thing about every single one of the females who were on the selection is that they wanted to do exactly the same as everyone else. And like when you're when you're in the dorm and you're in the course, gender disappears. Like you're all in it together and you're all pushing as hard and you're all there to support each other. So like what you have between your legs doesn't matter. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it just, it does sort of, um, there's, there's a couple of things I want to bring up because there's a, another lose-lose situation that I remember from when um, I used to call it Chris and a, a lad that I got to know not really well, but quite well. A lad called uh, Mario Said, who's a uh, mixed martial artist. He took a fight with a guy who I also know called Ed Napper. Now Ed's got um, uh, a few disabilities. One being, I th- I th- one of his one of his legs, he's only got to the bottom of his knee, and he only has sort of just past his elbow on his other arm. And Ed apparently. Uh, up to this fight, I was saying, how you know, how do you, like, what do you do, what do you do here? This is a, you know, Ed is clearly a disabled person, but he's obviously in a position where he can fight on this stage. It was like a sort of entry level, um, just above sort of being in a leisure centre. It was in a nightclub with a cage, uh, promoters there, the guys were getting paid, um, and I spoke to a few guys in the, well, it was the upstairs of the nightclub. And I was like, you know, has this guy got a chance here? And they were like, like, 
his grappling apparently because because of his disability made it even more difficult but he knew how to work his own body and obviously mario takes the fight and it's like well you're in a lose-lose situation here because if you fuck the guy up it's like you just beat up a disabled guy but if you lose you've lost to a disabled guy and they were like no no within the community like ed's quite well respected he, he can handle himself why not and mario is a great fighter like he's He's fought on Bama cards, cage warriors, and Ed knocked him the fuck out. And, <laughs> and for anybody anybody listening, have a look on YouTube. It's Ed Napper versus Mario Saeed. And just the awkwardness of, obviously, Ed's disabilities, but he's lived with those disabilities his whole life. It's not something that he just, like like Robbo last week, where Rob, Rob had to um, adjust his life. Ed's grown up with his disability, so he's adapted his entire life. He's, he's done his grappling, he's done so his striking. Is it, is it just a, a stump? Yeah, and he, he had, um, he had, a, he had a, 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 a glove basically attached to more or less his elbow. So if he was, I, I can't remember which side, but say he's, say he's throwing a straight left, it was always like an elbow coming at him. Yeah. But obviously he, he knows his distances because he's lived with yeah. that. He was entire, and when he caught like Mario was out for a while, he had to have oxygen, all sorts. And right. like, that's a slight tangent that I've gone on there, but I, I, I always, I've, I've always remembered that fight because I thought like, like in Mario's case, it's lose lose, because like I said, if he knocked he knocked him out, chokes him out, anything like that, then regardless of Ed's credentials, anybody that was just there as a casual fan is just like. He just kicked in a, a guy that suddenly got one arm and half his leg. But then getting, like, and he, it was a brutal knockout, honestly. It was one of the worst I've ever seen. I think in that situation, it comes down to, um, like, a lot of it comes down to a matter of respect. Like, the, you, as either side of the party, like, you're entering it into it, and you're like, do I respect this person enough to give it my all? Because that's what they're expecting. And anything, if I pull back anything, that's me disrespecting Disrespect, them. Disrespect, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm making the decision for them. I'm taking away their freedom to make the decision on whether they want to enter this, this situation or enter this fight or not. So, in, like, in that situation, like, Ed is entering into that position of being like, I am here to fight. And whether you kick the shit out of me or I kick the shit out of you, like have the respect that I've made this decision and I know what I'm doing and more power to Mario for going into it and just being like, yeah, I respect you as a fighter and I'm going to give you that respect and give it my all. And if I beat you, then I beat you fair and square because we yeah. both get it our all. I've got a story like that. Darren knows the story as well. So I uh, I was playing in a five-a-side tournament football. And um, we got paired against the team, and their goalkeeper uh, had, I think, cerebral palsy, possibly. Um, but he did play in the disabled England team, just say. But I got the ball, and I took it past a couple of players, and I smashed it right in the top corner. And it was one of the best goals I've ever scored in my life. So I celebrated, obviously, running around like I was Alan Shearer with my fucking hand in the air. I got booed. <laughs> but that, again, that's that's the crowd that's the crowd disrespecting the goalkeeper because yeah. like you did you did what you were supposed to do 
and you scored a good goal. And they... Absolute screamer, Mark. Not, it couldn't get further into the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you 100%. <laughs> I've been in CrossFit competitions. I've been in CrossFit competitions people with various um, handicaps and disabilities. And you just you modify like, you modify the movement to make it an equal play equal playing field. But they give it their all. I've seen I've seen um, athletes with one leg like doing thrusters, doing cleans, everything like doing anything else that a, a fully able bodied um, athlete could do. And it's just like, yeah, like, I'm not going to, like, you're competing against us, we're competing against you. There's no difference in that standpoint because at the end of the day, we're all athletes and we're all thrown down together. And that's true across any sport. Well, yeah, it was was interesting when we spoke to Robbo last week. I I didn't fully understand the, um, I can't remember what you call, basically, like, golf when you have a handicap. And so they're in their rugby team. Is it four players? And within their four players, they have to come up to a certain score and you can't go above that score. So um, Robbo being um, relatively um, less disabled in his upper body has quite a high score. Yeah, he's got got like a, a slight issue with his shoulder, but the majority of his injuries are to his lower body. So he... Um, in terms of playing rugby as an attacker, he's he's got a relatively high score, whereas you've got guys with like spinal injuries that tend to play. I think he said they tend to play more defensively. They would have a low score, mm-hmm. so that's how that they sort of uh, create the the even playing field across the across the board. So they'd have tend to have like a heavier defensive um, wheelchair. Whereas Robbo's is a lot more nimble because he can he, he can whiz about in his Nike Air wheelchair. And, um, <laughs> no, but we were yeah we were we were talking to him about it and saying like is, it, is are there different wheelchairs they give you an advantage? He was like yeah, but because they're not produced in the UK, it takes a while for them to arrive. And if there's anything wrong with them, it takes yeah. so they said they. I think he said he tends to have like a across the board pretty decent chair, but like some of the stuff he was like they break with their elbows. Like that's crazy. The, the, the adaption to that, like I'm not putting my my elbow anywhere near a wheel. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm just not doing it. But um, but yeah, it was. Um, I think to a certain degree, with most sports, you can you can um, sort of adapt and put things on a level playing field. The one that... Um, have you ever heard of Fallon Fox? No. So Fallon Fox was a is a um, transgendered mixed martial artist. <laughs> and, oh, the, yes. and the only issue I have is that she spent the best part of a year, I think, fighting female athletes in female mixed martial arts but didn't declare that she spent 30 years as a man and she's gone through all the the surgery the hormones and whatnot but i think the the only thing with that is all in terms of that playing field unless you because you're, you're punching people and kicking them in the face for goodness sake and i think that you get 
certain advantages as as somebody that's born a man and spend the majority of your life as a man having the the testosterone and whatnot. I think it's just <laughs> common courtesy over anything just to say, you know, I, I, I wasn't born a female. I haven't always had female hormones. Uh, you still okay for me to try and rattle your skull a little bit. That's the only one that I'd say that I would, I think as long as it's all out on the table and everyone's okay with it, fine. But I think that to a certain degree, and people use like the Serena Williams and stuff as as a counter argument to that, but they but they were born female, and yeah, they, and they didn't have the potential um, advantages of the male frame. I, I think, think that's. I think it's like transgender um, individuals competing in in competitive level sports. I think is is a really interesting and and quite a new. Uh, topic in the in the public eye um and i think one of the one of the issues at the moment is that a lot of sports haven't given it the time and effort and the thought to have yeah. a documented policy around how transgender people compete in their sport and, and there's a lot of different there's a lot of famous uh, athletes who are on record either for or against mm-hmm. um, and i think until each individual sport comes to or the governing body of each individual sport comes to a conclusion of of how that needs to be represented in their sport. I think you will see um, situations like the one you were just describing because if you're an athlete and you want to fight in in, in the, or you want to play in your sport and there isn't a documented way of doing that, then the fear of not being able to do the thing that you love. Mm-hmm. It's real, and people will make decisions within that, within the confines of their knowledge that they don't want to lose at being the ability to do the thing that they love. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. Like I think if everything's out on the table and you can agree, um, then that's it. But I think it's on the governing bodies of the sports to yeah. lead the way in that because you see, you look at things like um, Casta Semenya um, in track running. Mm-hmm. And how the South African. Yeah, the South African who um she like she was treated appallingly by the governing body because they didn't they didn't lay down the law and they didn't decide the way that she should compete. And yes, she has a uh a natural advantage because of the way that she was born, but then so do any number of uh male athletes, like Michael Phelps has the same thing, but because he's a man competing in a male sport it's absolutely fine. But with Casta Semenya, it, they made the decision that she had to take uh, like testosterone blockers to reduce her levels of testosterone. So to essentially handicap herself to make it fairer. Yeah. Just the fact that so, everything's so. And I, in that case, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's, that's what, because it's, she's not taking steroids. No. That's just, that's her, that's her body. And that's, body and that, and to be fair, in terms of um, the type of sports she's playing, she would have been tested for her levels her entire career. Exactly. Beca- because they're so stringently tested. Um, unless you're Russian. Unless you're, <laughs> <laughs> unless you're Russian. Yeah, my, my only thing with the, with the whole fighting thing was that um, when, you, when you actually see the fights, um, it, it was clearly a pretty decent guy fighter 
who transitioned and whatnot. But the fights, it was they that it was it was brutal the 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 damage that she was inflicting on some people and to fight for the best part of a year without confirming and you know and like i said most of those women could give a shit yeah i don't think i don't think they give a shit but the fact that he didn't know you know, they, 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 they may have prepared slightly different yeah and i don't know i don't know what the the ruling is in in the sport about it um and I hope maybe through this that it'll shine a light on it and there'll be a clearer documented policy about when you have to, what you have to declare and how you have to declare it so that other transgender um, athletes, both on the male and female um, side of the sport, can have a, a direction and a pathway to compete um, that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. And I think um, I think the the thing with like a, a female to male um, transition, I, I don't think there would be that many men, uh, whether or not I'm correct here or not, would have a, a massive issue. I think it's the, the other way when it's uh, like a, somebody that's lived as a male for the best you know, 20 years plus, gone through puberty, because like you you put someone like Ronda Rousey up against most men her size uh, at the, at the time when she was absolutely flying she'd do all right i think i think she, if you put her up against the elite you stick her up against i don't know somebody that's about her weight demetrius johnson i think just physically he he would dominate it's just there there is a biological difference i don't care i mean i've, st- I've studied the body for a long time there is definitely a difference um and it, it can it can be put out on a, lane, a, a, a level playing field. I think it's just um, the clarity of it. So I said that the nature of a, of a mixed martial artist or a boxer or somebody that competes in taekwondo, they, they know, they'll fight anyone. Yeah, it it's has just, to come down to the science of it at the end of the day. Yeah. And there hasn't been enough research into the science of it done. And, and it's, it's amazing that these edge cases do exist because... Yeah. It, they are edge cases, but the response that it gets from the community in every single sport vast outweighs the like the likelihood of these edge cases happening and becoming a, like the norm. Yeah. Uh, and and I think because of that, there hasn't been science put into it. And because of that, I think I like we as a community need to stand up in every single sport and just be like, listen, we're all about fairness and creating a level playing field, and we've now identified a new area where we need to do some more research so it's on it's on you governing body to do that research and level that playing field again i mean what about this one sean i think you'll appreciate this what if you get someone like you get someone like fallon fox who is a transgender female yeah stick her up against chris cyborg chris cyborg can take all the testosterone she wants back in the day when chris cyborg was an absolute well Everyone was scared of her that was female. I'm scared of her. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? I mean, that's that's one way you could... You could. If, if, you, if you, watch, you want to. You would watch Chris Cyborg absolutely batter the shit out of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's... Definitely said it. <laughs> definitely said it. <laughs> determined to get me back uh, off YouTube. Uh, I'm not... Uh, but no, it's, 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 this is the thing, like, I'd say, like, more... more more science has to be put into it, and and hopefully for for all athletes across the board, 
the science that's put into it will will create a much more level playing field and, and fairness for everyone. Yeah, I just I wonder if that would make any difference, just as a general sort of think tank there. I, w- I wonder what difference that would make. Like, Fallon Fox cannot take any steroids in this fight. Um, but Chris Cyborg can. I wonder how that would level up. I wonder. It has to be backed up by the science. It has, like, yeah. taking, taking testosterone has multiple different effects on the body. Yeah. And uh, some of those will outweigh the natural advantages that Fallon Fox may have. May have um, as a transgender athlete, so I don't like. I say it, at the end of the day, it has to come back to the science because you cannot argue with the science. And until yeah. that science is done, then we're all just speculating. Yeah, speculation accumulate. <laughs> um, Aaron loves a tangent, doesn't he? Oh, I, I do. Where did this even start, Ross? Uh, Millie, Millie, we're talking about Millie, and we've now started an argument about. What's Fucking Fallon Fox versus Chris Cyborg. Yeah, well, it hasn't been a a recent thing with Fallon Fox. I know that Joe Rogan got in a lot of heat um, over some of the comments that he made, um, which he, he, in fairness to Joe, he didn't retract what he said at all. And he even invited Fallon Fox onto his podcast, which I don't think she um, accepted. But I... I don't know. I just I love a conversation like that. I, I think because it's it's there. There are transgender athletes, and there are also females that have got high testosterone levels, and yeah. they absolutely, in my mind, they they shouldn't be put on testosterone so, blockers. I think every I think I think everyone has a right to compete, and it's on across like across anything. If you want to compete in a sport, and you you put in the effort and you train, you should be able to. And it's not on the athlete to self-regulate themselves it's on the governing body to create the environment that allows them to compete on a fair and even basis and some some governing bodies are doing it better than others but i just think like for for the fairness of the game and 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 being able to stand up there and say that you compete in a sport that is truly equal to and to across all athletes whether that's different weight categories for men and women or or whatever Mm -hmm. those are but like hopefully hopefully It'll create and create a fairer environment across all sports. So, you've got the fucking cyclist. I can't remember her name. Who transitioned from male to female? Was doing really poorly in the male um, cycling events. Transitioned and now is a world record holder in the female one. What do you think of that? There's a question. Again, again, like I like I, my opinion doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> if if the rules of the sport are so that she can compete at that level and she meets the requirements, then she's not doing anything wrong. Uh, and it's on it's as I say, it's on the governing body to look into the science and and create that create that fair environment. Like, I mean, cycling's a terrible one, anyway, isn't it? They're all on EPO. So, <laughs> I think I think when Lance Armstrong got in trouble, quite famously, for um, for what he did, um, bloody good documentary though. Yeah, very good documentary. Um, bloody good one. Wasn't it? They had to go back twenty places to find somebody that was actually clean. Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah, and, al- and also 
there's there's great uh, research out there that says that it's physically it's more detrimental to do something like the Tour de France and not not be taking the uh, Mexican supplements that they that, that is allowing them to compete at that level like on that sort of distance. It's cycling. You're not hurting anyone, are you? Just on a bike. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Like when when you when you look at something like um, uh, even football, where when when there's a, a coming together of players or rugby or mm-hmm. martial arts or boxing, when you're physically able to harm another person, I can see why you would try and keep it as clean as possible. But for, for something like cycling, where it's actually detrimental for you not to be doing something that is going to allow your body to get around that course. I mean, there is, there is an argument. It's a fairness thing. Like, is it any, any difference taking a protein shake if it allows you to get around? But it's, I think it's a fairness thing. Like, if you're... If, you're, if you want to take <laughs> uh, performance enhancers, then take them. But compete against other people who are... Who are. Who are. Yeah. Don't... don't and don't put the people who choose not to at an automatic disadvantage to compete in the sport. Let them compete. It's like, it's like with um, bodybuilding. Like bodybuilding, you have different categories. You have people who yeah. are UPDs and you have natural bodybuilders. And that's and that's you compete in the category, so you're competing against people who are who are fair. It's, and um, it's the same in CrossFit. There was there was issues in CrossFit a couple of years ago um, with someone who came third and then tested positive for, for performance enhancers. And a lot of CrossFit. Uh, pardon? You're odd. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I know. I do know. Uh, yeah, it's Gerard. And, like, it's, it's a lot of the athletes came out and were just like, A, it tarnishes us because now everyone assumes that we can't, we, like, all of the hard work that I'm putting in isn't just because of me, it's because I'm taking these performance enhancers. So you tar us all with a negative brush. But also, it means that I'm not having a fair competition. Like, I can't benchmark my performance against people who are equally putting in all of this hard work. And it was Noah Olsen, actually, uh, who's another athlete who was at the top of the field. Um, he went on record of being like, I'll do a year training for next year's games where I get tested every single week to prove that you can compete at this like elite level and not take performance enhancers. And it's, it's, I think if you want to take them, great, but only compete against other people who are taking them. Because it's all yeah. that. I, um, I sort of what's, when it, when it comes to the fitness industry, I um I have got a well, I sort of stole this from. A, you may be familiar with a guy called Mark Twite and Michael Blevins. They had a gym in Utah called Jim Jones, and um, Mark had a quite monumental falling out with Mr. Glassman um, when CrossFit was in its um, initial stages. Um, but Mark went on to train uh, the guys for 300, um, Henry Carville for Superman. Uh, did all sorts in the game and he obviously turned his back had a bit of a hatred for CrossFit because of his fallout with Greg Um, but he's now he sort of got turfed out of his own gym in Jim Jones and it went a completely wrong direction he he likes the the whole punk rock scene of fitness like he, he 
everything was old school. There's no TVs. There's no, nothing comfy to sit on. Sort of like what your average box looks like now. But this is work in... Um, and they were all elite climbers that started off doing it, that sort of thing. And um, in his recent podcast, is uh, he's summed up the, the term fitness is fucked. Because, you know, with the whole Instagram thing, anybody that's got a, a good body or a big ass can be a fitness professional when you've got guys out there that really have it's their life's work and it's it's sort of sort of being tarnished a little bit by social media and stuff because anybody can do it but um i can't watch like sean asked me about the game changers the other week um i've watched little bits of it i've watched some of the um the crossfit ones that are on netflix i've watched bits but i get so far into it and i'm like a lot of this just plays into that whole social media thing. And um, I can't remember which one it was I was watching, but somebody got popped for PEDs. And the amount the amount of the, the amount of um, the amount of crossfitters that were sort of tarnishing the person who had done it, and you know, fair enough. But I was looking at a lot of those people thinking, You can't tell me you haven't had any help somewhere along the line. Because Anybody that's worked in the fitness industry can tell the difference between A, a natural athlete, B, somebody that clearly watches what they eat, etc., and C, somebody that's had a little bit of extra help along the way. Because there is just a, a, a physical difference you can see in, in a person, regardless of the amount of, like, because this is another thing, is people think that by taking a PED, that you automatically don't do the same amount of hard work. And yeah. if you are one of those people, then you're a stupid person because you still have to put in the exact same yeah. amount of work. It just gives you a bit of a boost, whether it's your recovery, whether it's um, your performance on the day, whether it gives you, you know, your blood able to travel around your body better. You know, it is what it is. But I was quite shocked at the amount of people that are from just a snip, like I said, a snippet, because I can't watch it because I'm literally like, Hang on, like you can't tell me that that is the only person in the whole of either the CrossFit Games or one of the showdowns that gets gets yeah. done that is not getting some additional help. And I don't know. To me, it would have been it would have been far better for the community on the whole to sort of get together and come up with a solution to this mm. than make sort of a martyr out of the person that they. I don't think is the only person. Like I've I've watched some CrossFit games. God, that person's very suspect. That right. that that body is very suspect, and that performance is very suspect. I'm not saying that that I'm right. I'm just saying with a bit of a skeptical look about it. A bit like, hang on a minute. No, no I think um, I think Matt, I think Matt Fraser um, was on record of being like, are there other people doing it? Of course there are. Like. <laughs> It's about whether you get caught or not. He's like, but I just know that I'm not. Um, yeah. Like, I can only do what my performance is. And he's just like, and I hope that people have enough respect for me that when they come up against me, they're doing it for the best of their with the best of their ability. Because that's what, like, if I get beaten, I want to be beaten by someone who has beaten me fair and square. Yeah. And and that we've that like as I say, if you want to if you want to take if you want to take enhancing enhancers in whatever way, great. But compete against other people who are. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Let's let's have a Roydy Olympics. Exactly. 
Like, can you imagine? I would how smart... love to see someone like <laughs> exactly. Juice them all up and juice them up and let him go. Just run hundred meters fast, you can. But but see, this is the this is the squirrely thing about it. I mean, a lot of the time. You just say squirrely. Yeah, yeah, because it gets real squirrely, doesn't it? Because a lot of people will say that the um, it is um, that in terms of (laughs) athletics, a lot of the time um, it is who is ahead of the curve and the testing. There's a lot of people that will say that you know the top ten, top ten sprinters over the last twenty years, they're all they've all been juiced up. Same as um, people like John Jones, the with what they're saying about his pulsing with his um, with his blood test because he clearly has taken something. Yeah, many many years ago, even his body still pulses these things that will make him fail a drug test because he's taken it in the in the past, and it's just perhaps the you know the the top guys their their doctors etc are just that bit further away from the testing that they they get away with it and i think i think it comes if you take if you take away the stigma get get them all on it go on yeah. that that can be we'll call it the roidy games <laughs> there'll be, a, there'll be a lot of heart attacks exactly a lot, a lot of bolding but it's just uh, at the end of the day, it comes down, it's like we said earlier, it comes down to respect, respect for yourself and respect for other people. And if you're, if you, you can only control your own destiny and your own universe. And if you would feel comfortable going into a situation, knowing what you know, or if you've done something, then that's on you. And yeah. if you get found out, you get found out. But at the end of the day, you're the one who has to go home and live with yourself. And if you're comfortable with that, if winning means that much to you, then fine. But Hopefully, we have to keep. We have to. Uh, we as athletes, all of it, like anyone who competes in any sort of sport, like you have to hold yourself accountable, and you have to go into. You have to walk away from that situation, being like, I abided by the rules and I played fairly, and I gave. Yeah. It. Tell you what, I ve- going back to the show now, just quickly. What I highly enjoyed and found absolutely hilarious is when I can't remember her name now. Number eleven, when she was sat with. Um, Ant. and she's going oh, I can be a high level at CrossFit and he went oh you fucking boring god <laughs> I was like, hey, listen, the number one rule of CrossFit is to tell people that you do CrossFit so <laughs> but that's uh, that's tilled out quite a bit now isn't it yeah it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing joke but like and it used to, it used to be a fucking nightmare yeah I honest like it's I don't yeah, I don't see a, a lot anymore. Um, whether it's like Facebook and Instagram have set up a different algorithm for me now that <laughs> I don't run my gym and I'm not posting my gym stuff anymore. But um, yeah, I don't see the culty side of it as much. Um, and I don't know if it's maybe taken a, a slightly different direction now with the games becoming more popular and stuff. It's I think it's started to lay itself down as more of something that people do. And it wasn't just such as... And the, the crazy thing was, when CrossFit um, sort of hit its, its peak um, in terms of popularity, I'd say maybe five, six years ago. Yeah. And it's literally everything was... It was a cool thing to post about. 
And the amount of people I'd say, oh, this this new thing we're doing, it's like there's nothing new in the fitness industry. This is all. It's just adapting stuff that people have already done. Because, yeah. I mean, I think the time when, when I was like, well, actually, you know, there might be some substance in this, was when it didn't just come down to how many pull-ups you could do and how much weight you could lift. Uh, swimming got involved. Yeah. Um, and the, the sort of the safer obstacle courses where you don't see the, the horror hurdles and people breaking their vertebrae and stuff like that. I think um, because... A lot, because it, a lot of it came down to the coaches, though, that they had mm. in, in certain um, areas. Like, a lot of them, you'd be like, why, why are you doing that? that <laughs> you don't need to do that. You don't need to be sat on a fucking kettlebell fucking balancing on it while yeah. doing thrusters. I think I think a lot of it comes back to like when CrossFit was at its peak, like you had standard gym membership or you had CrossFit. Like that's yeah. the thing. But you with the rise of hit classes and F forty five and Rebel One and all these other like fitness things, I think doing being a member of a thing and like Soul Cycle even and, and Peloton and all these like mm-hmm. it being into your thing in fitness has become a lot more acceptable. Um, so being like being like I'm a CrossFitter isn't like what the fuck is that? Why are you talking about like you just go to the gym? Like yeah. So I think it's yeah, like fad fitness has become much more of a thing. Yeah. Um, I also I think um, I think over the last sort of like I said five six years I think it's been um, fine tuned quite a bit. Uh, I think in the initial stages, it was like you'd get, um, especially over in the States, you'd get people who had a background in different sports, um, mainly sort of your gymnastics or weightlifting. And um, by trying to use that sort of hybrid style of going from doing a power snatch into a muscle-up, there's a lot of people physically able to do that, but their body wasn't quite ready for it because yeah. those those gymnastics guys had been doing that since they were this high, and those um, those the lifters had been doing that for the same amount of time. You try and transit. I mean, although they do correlate, like your connective oh, tissue, etc., doesn't doesn't quite get it. And that's why I think in that initial stage when they started using the more sort of um, the ring work and the Olympic lifts. I think that's where the problem with the, the CrossFit injuries were coming because yeah. there were people who could do it because they'd had that background. But Dave, that had just started a year ago, his body just wasn't prepared. Especially, especially when you put it down to a competitive level, yeah. when you're either going up against a clock or another person, you do, you know, your, your form goes out the window. And like I said, your body's just not maybe physically ready. That's why people were blowing out shoulders. That's why they were getting spinal injuries. Not necessarily terrible ones like the ones that are documented and people post the videos. There's a big hoo-ha about it. But I think I think CrossFit on the whole, because they because they got so big so quick, and then now they've started to refine everything. I think that's made a the competitions a lot safer, and b a lot more a lot more elite than they initially were yeah because because you have because now you can train crossfit exactly whereas before you could just be like i said the next gymnast who can do a thousand 
uh, ring dips followed by four muscle ups, which I, I, Sean will back me up on this. I, cause I used to, you know, get the, the CrossFit games qualifiers, the ones you video yourself. Yeah. Um, I'd have people come down and ask if they could use my facilities to, to have a go at it. And I knew what would happen. It would start off. It'd be lots of burpees and stuff that stuff that requires no equipment. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the muscle ups come in. You like the average guy hasn't got a set of gymnastics rings no, set exactly. up in his house to be able to do it. Exactly, and, and uh, that would always come sort of three, four phases in once yeah. people had paid their money to to try and compete. And I think I think they've made it a lot more accessible to the average guy now. And also, I think the person that is going to do the whole CrossFit thing is somebody that is going down to a CrossFit gym. Yeah. They've got, they've got a bit. And also I think a lot of the entry level coaches now aren't running their own facilities exactly. on, on a weekend course, which yeah. was, was always a bugbear of mine. It was like, hang on mate, I've been doing this sort of thing for 10, 15 years. You can't tell me you pay a grand and now all of a sudden you can open a gym. And I think they've they've sort of knocked that on the head now. I think everybody has to be to a certain level to be instructing yeah. on their own. And more power to them. Like, you know, I will. I well. cannot wait for next week as well because I got Josh Bridges on the next week. Uh, <laughs> even more CrossFit for us. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh. So, it's went for you, Mark. When do you transform into civil? Civil, civil, civil. Uh, it's a long and grinding process. <laughs> it looks, it, Jesus. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no. To to slowly primp and tease the woman out of this uh, <laughs> is a, is a long and drawn out process. But um, well, yeah, you look like a Viking warrior. <laughs> you look, it looks like. Robert. You look like. Do you, uh, Sean, did you meet? Um, Victor, the Norwegian guy, um, I met in Malta. Yeah, that I met in Malta. You, you look like a carbon copy of him, and I always say to him, "You couldn't look any more Norwegian. No. You are." A... You are. Funnily enough, funnily enough. Yeah. So, say uh, again. I said, funnily enough, I'm Maltese. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. Um, but no, the uh, we, we did a podcast in Malta a few few months back. Oh, really? Yeah, we we used to we used to holiday there every year for like fifteen years. Yeah, longer, longer. Yeah, my our, our dad used to live there as well back in fucking nineteen twenty or whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my mum's Maltese and my parents live out there now. So, oh nice, whereabouts? Uh, in uh, like St Paul's Bay, that around that yeah. area. That's, yeah. that's where that's where we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Aura and Bajiba. That's where. Yeah, we, yeah. So, that's why I, I grew up. I grew up around that. I grew, like spending every. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's mental. Such a tiny island, but it's got so many connections to so many people. Well, yeah, I, I was just at work the other day, and two of my chefs were like, "Yeah, yeah, we've been going to Malta, so slightly different areas, like Malia and where did? Um... Oh God, you're annoying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't remember. but Malia was one of them. They said they'd been yeah. going there since they were like kids, which um, is it's crazy. It's crazy, but yeah, no, it takes it takes a while for to transform transform into it. Um, it's, it's I just love 
I just like I've always been creative. Like I love dressing up. Halloween was always my favorite time of the year, and drag just means I get to make Halloween whenever I want it to be. And I get to dress up and 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 create this character and hopefully open up some open up some people's eyes to. And then that's what like that's what hopefully doing the show has done. And like it doesn't matter who who you are or what you like doing. We're all, at the end of the day, we're all people, and we all like we all have stories to tell. And if I can help a few people by seeing a six foot five guy in heels and a wig and full face of makeup surviving and 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 thriving in in an SAS selection process, then actually. Any, any LGBTQ person you meet on the street is exactly the same. So, here's another for you, because I love throwing these out there. Darren hates him, I know that. You were on um, Good Morning Britain. Yes. Yeah, what what was Piers like? Piers uh, <laughs> not all the time, or just... No, he's not. No, I, I, that's, that's my bugbear of him. It's, 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 a, like, it's, it's predominantly a character. Yeah. Like, he's a pro- my biggest thing is that he makes some great points at times. Yeah. Even, made- it, even his tweets, I'll, I'll read and I'll go, because I follow him, even though we won't, I won't ever retweet anything that he says or anything like that, <laughs> is that he, and as an Arsenal fan, he infuriates me, but he, um, if he was just himself, he could make those same points and probably have a far better impact across the board than this sort of like he comes across bigoted at times and that's what bothers me because he get he gets fucking he gets publicity for it yeah. uh, in turn he then gets paid even more because he's yeah. this controversial figure which I don't believe he actually is he's paid to, he's paid to be controversial and like he was he was I I couldn't have more differentiating views than him on, on a variety of different subjects. And I said to them, I was like, if you ever want someone to come back and debate with him, I'm more than happy to come back and debate with him. But he was he was he was nothing but lovely to me. Um and as you know who your dad is. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, like he he's paid to be controversial and he comes across as bigoted sometimes and I think he's he's an intelligent man and he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows what the audience that he's feeding into is trying to achieve and want out of it and that's what he does and for for, for better or worse it's up to if that he has a platform and if I if if people from across the spectrum who have different views to him can utilize that platform to get their point across and try and uh, educate people who are usually only used to hearing his point of view, then it can only be a positive. But we, he was nice to me. We still have very, very different views. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad show, that good, good morning, Britain. I I don't mind it, but it's, uh, it's, He, he has he has moments where I'm yeah. like. Oh. But, uh, here, here's my thing though. So you've got him, and he clearly he knows what he's doing. You can almost see it in his face as soon as he's about to. You can tell when he's um, he's actually passionate about something that he's bringing up because he won't deter from it. He won't back down. Mm. Um, but you can also tell when he's trying to work that 
that angle of, oh, this is going to get me in the newspaper, this is going to get me loads of retweets, this is going to get this, this is going to get that. The one that makes me laugh the most is Richard Maidley, because he is basically Alan Partridge, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> like he, d- he says things and you go, what? Like, <laughs> I can't think of one off the top of my head, but he, he'll say something, you just go, you didn't, you didn't think that through before you said that, you've just... There's a, yeah, there's a few moments. Richard so. Maidley, that's... Um... That's the guy that dressed up as Ali G, wasn't it? Richard and Judy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they, uh, at the end of the day, it's all TV, and and they've been in, they've been in this game for a long time. They know exactly what they're doing half the time and, and what they can and what they can't say. So, but that's the thing, though. I don't know if Richard Maisley does. I, I genuinely, I think that is just. <laughs> you know, you know, when like, you must have it with your with your old man being ex-military. Like, we'll be in a situation in a pub or something, my old man will come out with something and you go, what? <laughs> you can't just say that in, in a group, Dad. You might think it, but you can't you can't just come out and say And Richard Mabley seems to have that same thing. And, and Piers, Morgan does it. Piers Morgan does it as well. He was going up on one about hot pants like just before I went on. And Susanna Reid actually brought her, like said it at one point. She was like, do you... Do you ever have that moment where you see all of us in the studio, like, just go quiet and bite our lips and just like, what are you talking about? He was like, she was like, do you ever just think, oh, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I should stop. And Piers was just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) From that that point of view, like, if that is him, um, that is just what he thinks. It's a bit like Jeremy Clarkson. He comes out with some... Oh, completely. some, Some lines at times, just go, Jeremy... Yeah. But I think with Jeremy as well, he actually genuinely thinks. I mean, his mum wrote group at the bear, didn't she? So he's. <laughs> Fuck it. Pull out some fucking. <laughs> yeah. That's not pro science. I'm throw group at the bear out there. Fucking hell. Hang on. Fucking hell. Hang on. I'm you sure that's true. Now. While he's Googling it, I'm like, right. So, what do you do with the old meat and two veg? Because when you stood up on Good Morning Britain and you were wearing your hot pants, I was like, there's no bulge. Where, where does that hide? <laughs> of course you saw that, sure. <laughs> hey, doing research, man. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's known as tucking. Uh, tucking. And uh, it's, where you strategically, it's where you strategically insert both of your testicles back up into your body. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then you use duct tape to essentially stick the skin down so that they stay up inside your body, and then you pull your dick back in between your legs and then duct tape that down to create a, 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 an area. No. Seen... It's not comfortable. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't sound... That, that sounds... That's, that's that's just, I'm, 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 that sounds like something they would do on SAS Who Dares Win. It's just <laughs> <laughs> but it also, that just my brain went straight to Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, then. Oh, well. <laughs> he's found good old Captain Winky. <laughs> Which is, uh, uh, that film. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's the film, that, that film these days would not fly. No, exactly. You see the, um, the scene where it's like the big reveal that it... Yeah. Um, and I have ever seen. <laughs> but they, um, <laughs> if you look, if you actually try and take your your mind back, like you couldn't make that scene anymore. I don't think because um, as soon as the reveal comes, 
all of the athletes and stuff would just start being sick and making yeah. like a big skeptical over the fact that they're trying they're like trying yeah, yeah. and uh, you just couldn't make that it's one of those things where you, if, if we have uh, for all of the faults that we have in this world like we collectively have have moved forward. Rupert the Bear, there we go. It wasn't Rupert, it was Paddington Bear. Oh, it was Paddington? Yes. It was one of them. Mum wrote Paddington the Bear. Yeah. That's the most weird piece of trivia. I'm <laughs> that piece of trivia. Have you, yeah, just been, have you just been looking up quiz notes or something? No. What? I can't remember. I don't know. You know I know silly, useless information. <laughs> Shirley Clarkson, 73-year-old uh, tour de force who continues to live to the full, as well as creating Paddington Bear. She's the mother of uh, TV presenter Jeremy Coxon. Brilliant. Well, there you go. Wow, well, fuck me. I'm going to have to love you and leave you, Jed, shortly, unfortunately. That's no problem, because I've got to do the school run in a minute. As well. ah. I've <laughs> lost all track of time. I know. And that's what happens when you have a good person to chat to. Sometimes you're like, oh, when's this one going to end? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. I can quite happily sit here and chat away with you for the rest of the day. That's well, we could we could do definitely. another episode soon. We, I think we will. Yes, definitely. I think I've had a lot of people say they want to come back on, so that's always good. Yeah, it's a pleasure chatting to you. Any any final questions? But anything you finally want to know? Before? Do you wear a wig or do you just go all out with the hair? Your hair. Depends uh, how lazy I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Like with, like with anyone, it honestly depends how lazy I'm feeling. Uh, and I didn't wear a wig in uh, much to the bereft and, and amusement of many of my drag queen friends. I didn't wear a wig on when I filmed the interviews for the show. Um, but that was mainly because I had to get dra- getting drag in the management suite of a shopping centre. Um, but uh, usually I will wear a wig just because, like, the bigger the hair, the more it balances out. Like, one of the things you do when you drag, it's all about, like, readjusting your features to try and make it a more feminine but be like i have a giant man face i'm a big man and i need to balance out what's going on with it. <laughs> having, having this giant hair makes my giant head look that little bit smaller they are they are some luscious locks though oh thank you thank you it's starting to thin on top so i'm making the most of it <laughs> i have to say though because I think the first time we saw you on the show, you were as Mark. Yeah. You did your little chatty bit. And then the next time, it was like, boom, there's civil war. He's like, whoa, what, when did that happen? <laughs> and that's what, I, that's, what I love, that's what I love about my drag. And that's what I love about drag is, is, is civil war is the, that meeting point between the masculine and the feminine. And it's forcing people to, like, confront the fact that I am this massive guy and I, like, often like mix like having a visible partly male body with a very feminine face and all this and it's just it's just messing with your mind of being like as you move further down my body it's just like woman man woman man woman (laughs) (laughs) but in all fairness i think you've done yourself fucking brilliantly on the show i thought it was i thought you were one of the better contestants on there i thought it's a shame that you didn't go all the way though but they, they, they jacked out on you. I'm not having it. I'm gonna. Hey, these are the situations. These are the situations. I'm, I'm gonna message Ant and go, "Oi, why are you jacking out?" <laughs> well, no, it was it was. I, I should have been more aware of my situation as well, and and uh, and done what I needed to do
hey, I, I, I have no regrets. I have absolutely no regrets, and I would do it again tomorrow if they let me. Yeah, I think you've done brilliantly, I have to say. Thank you. Well, well I hope you enjoy the rest of your birthday. Thank you very much. I am going to go and yeah. look at some Excel spreadsheets because that's my muggle job. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything from you, Darren? William? Uh, uh, no, not really. I think we've managed to cover yeah. quite... We haven't done any current events, so maybe we'll do that the next Definitely. time. Next time. We'll have some more current events then. Sounds like a plan. Brilliant. Nice one. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers, buddy. Speak to you soon. Have a good one. Bye. And you. Good episode, that, mate. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. Very nice guy. I've done the beer. Yes, we'll have to. Yeah. Well, I've got to go and do um, a school run. I've just had a text from Kate, who's finished work early. Hey, yeah. hey, part-timer. Busy. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, I'll, I'll speak to you. I'll speak to yeah. you um, in a bit. Eight o'clock Wednesday. Next guest okay. is um, Martin Stepton. Okay. Kate Warriors partner. Yeah. So, I'll see you then. Catch you in a bit. All right. Charlie, Charlie one. Yeah. Charlie, Charlie one out. That was the... Latest instalment of the Grand Zero podcast with Mark Whistler, Little Brown, Darren Thompson, and myself, Tomo. Fantastic guest, fantastic podcast, loved every second of it. Um, more than welcome to come on again. Coming up this week, we've got, like I said, Martin Stapleton, aka 50 Cal, is a former Marine and SFSG veteran now cage warrior absolute fucking animal so stand by for that and yeah cheers for listening thanks to combat fuel thanks to dead mammoth coffee and thank you to infusion cbd so without further ado i've been tomo this has been the granite zero podcast as they say in the regiment, per ardua. Through adversity, I'm Tomo and I'm out.